Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8-13 on Friday, April 22nd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk COVID-19 next steps with the president of the State Medical Association. And the story behind a newly released 60-year-old recording from a Mississippi blues legend. A new law in Mississippi allows religious-based crisis pregnancy centers to receive tax-deductible donations. MPB's Kobe Vance reports abortion rights activists say these centers can confuse pregnant women. Governor Kate Reeves has signed House Bill 1685, the Pregnancy Resource Act. The measure allows for businesses and individuals to contribute $3.5 million in tax credits to nonprofit pregnancy resource centers across the state. Governor Tate Reeves says this is part of an overall initiative to ban abortions and aid families after birth. They're not just here to provide opportunities and options for uh, those pregnant mothers. They're also here to help once the babies are born. Aaron Kate Good is executive director of the Center for Pregnancy Choices Metro, a Christian faith-based nonprofit. She says her facility could use this funding to offer people resources during and after pregnancy. If the abortion is restricted because of the Dobbs case, that's not going to be the end of unplanned pregnancies, that women will still need support, and no woman should walk through that decision alone. And so pregnancy centers actually may be busier than ever. But pregnancy resource centers are not licensed medical facilities and are often focused on dissuading someone from getting an abortion. Michelle Colon is executive director of the reproductive rights group Shiro. She says these organizations can be harmful for pregnant people. Basically what it is, is a facility that's ran and managed by a bunch of anti-abortion activists who like to trick folks and basically spiritually and psychologically manipulate folks into going full, full term with their pregnancies and birthing a child that they did not want or going through with a pregnancy they did not want. Abortion rights advocates say that the state should invest more into birthing centers or reproductive health clinics that can provide in-depth medical care and advice for pregnancies. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Coming up, we talk COVID-19 next steps with the president of the State Medical Association. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 
Drug maker Pfizer is asking the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to authorize a COVID-19 vaccine booster for kids ages 5 to 11. Dr. Jerry Weiland is a pediatrician as well as the president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. She speaks with Kobe Vance. The fact that we've even gotten a vaccine is pretty amazing because the coronaviruses as a whole don't you know, they, they changed so much. We've seen that, that we have not done that previously. Um, what we're seeing is that the that Pfizer and the other companies are continuing to do testing to see how long the vaccine is effective and whether or not a booster is necessary. And again, I believe Kobe, you and I have discussed before that um, everybody is tired of talking about boosters, but that all of our primary immunizations require a series. So if you want to call them boosters or whatever, they're not a single shot. Even uh, even chickenpox and MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, require two um, immunizations to get to that level we feel is, is adequate. So, you know, I trust them to do the testing to say they're going to need another one. Now, our biggest problem is we're just not getting the, the five to 11-year-olds vaccinated at a very high rate and it does need to happen. And it's it, in my practice, it's an ongoing, ongoing push. We try to educate and encourage. Uh, so those people that those parents that are interested in having their children fully vaccinated will want to go ahead and get a booster and we will offer it. As far as overall coronavirus right now, what have you been seeing? What are your thoughts on this current state as we've you know seen a bit of a decline recently? Well, thankfully, we have seen uh, it burn out itself only because Omicron, the Omicron variant was so contagious that, um, I mean, you could look at the spike in December, January in Mississippi. It's like everybody got it. I mean, you know, even people who had been vaccinated, although, again, the people who were vaccinated did not have serious disease. There were hospitalizations, but again, those were primarily in people who had not been vaccinated or not been boosted and had had underlying health issues. We still encourage people with uh, who are elderly, um, the older older Mississippians, and anyone with underlying health issues to be sure that you're fully vaccinated, that you that you get your booster, and if you're due for a fourth shot or second booster, that you get that also. On the national scale, there's been talks about stealth Omicron. Could you help Mississippians understand what that is and what they well, should, if they should be concerned about it? Yeah, I'd love to because I, I, you know, when you hear about stealth Omicron, you think, oh my gosh, it's something really big and bad. Um, when actually, it's the 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 nickname comes from the nomenclature from our our epidemiologists, our scientists, um, because it was stealthy. They couldn't tell initially. Uh, when they were trying to type it, you know what they what they do. Dr. Byers and his folks uh, constantly are testing all the coronaviruses from different samples around the state to see what is in the state of Mississippi. And the same thing is happening on a national level and on a, an international level. Well, the stealth is is an Omicron. It's a an Omicron variant, BA two. The initial Omicron was BA one, uh, but at first they had a hard time telling that it was an Omicron. But now they can tell. So that's what made it stealthy. Um, the One of the problems, if you will, with Omicron BA2 or the stealth variant is that it's even about 30 percent more 
contagious than the Omicron, which was com- which was much more contagious than the Delta, which was much more contagious than the original variant. So, uh, so what you're seeing is um, a progression to something that's more contagious. Now, luckily, the Omicron variant was more of an upper respiratory infection. So, so as far as adults went, that was not as much a problem as Delta and the previous variants where you had a lower respiratory pneumonia kind of process that put people in the hospital. Again, just like Delta, which of course now seems like ancient history, which was back in the summer of 2021, um, the biggest problem with admissions and deaths and and long-term issues are in people who did not receive a vaccine. Masks. Um, Do people still need to wear masks when they're going out in public, do you think? And should people keep them around for potential future transmission if it rises? Well, we're dealing with a, with a pandemic that's not quite done with us yet. We don't really know what's going to come. I mean, that's part of a pandemic and with a novel virus is we don't know what's going to happen. Wouldn't it be very nice if the variant got less and less and less and became more like a common cold and not like something that kills people or leaves you with long-term disability? That would be wonderful. We don't know that we're headed there. Um, I, you know, I've always used masks in my practice, but I did it situationally, going into surgery, going into an isolation room. Um, So I feel like people need to understand that there is a place for masks. If you are comfortable and you want to wear one going into the grocery store or you feel more comfortable having one all the time, do it. Uh, I do understand that people are, are tired of it, over it. I think we should understand that at some point in the future we may need to use masks. I hope we don't have any mask mandates, but that there may be recommendations that under these circumstances, they'll be helpful. Um, you know, close quarters where you don't know. I mean, it'd be, it'd be great if everybody was vaccinated because it'd be less and less of a problem. But what we're talking about here is something that still gives people bad health problems and is a very highly contagious respiratory virus. How are doctors and nurses feeling right now? You know, we've seen declines in transmission, hospitalizations have gone down. Are y'all being able to get some relief? From- well, it was, well uh, yeah, there's a big, there's a big, whew. But I think we step back and go, wow, this is great. And boy, I'm tired. And boy, we still don't have, you know, we still don't have nurses. We still don't have, we still have a lot of holes to fill, physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, and people who have left the profession, burned out, um, you know, got overwhelmed. I mean, you know, we, we, we shouldn't kid ourselves as Mississippians. We still have a healthcare crisis and, um, you know, hospitals are hurting. I mean, you know, this, this took a toll on everybody. Um, but it's great. You know, it's springtime. We're having nice weather when we're not having tornadoes. And, you know, it's, it's nice to think maybe we'll have a break from this. Perhaps it'll become more seasonal like the flu and then perhaps people will start looking at it and say, well, I'm going to get my coronavirus vaccine with my flu vaccine and, you know, and I'll be good not to be in the hospital. So uh, that's what I think uh, I think a lot of us are hoping for. While we had Dr. Weiland on the phone, we also wanted to ask her about State House Speaker Philip Gunn's recent decision to allow postpartum Medicaid extension to allow that bill to die without a vote on the floor. Weiland had previously advocated for the measure, which would have permanently allowed new mothers in Mississippi to stay on Medicaid from 12 weeks up to 12 months after giving birth. I was disappointed personally because I've 
I've seen this really be helpful. I'm a pediatrician, but I know that the moms, um, you, you know, I know that it's great to have had that continued. We were doing it uh, during the pandemic, in addition to the postpartum moms having uh, access to health care for 12 months instead of two months. Um, they also had access to mental health. Um, and in our in our screening for the babies at two, four, and six months of age, we actually asked the mom how she's doing. How are you doing? Are you having any problems? Is there any sort of postpartum depression? And so after two months of age now, if those moms have evidence of that, they're, they have less resources available to them because they no longer have insurance. On that Medicaid extension bill, it wouldn't have been 12 weeks to 12 months. The bill was six weeks to 12 months. Again, that's Dr. Jerry Weiland, president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Still ahead, the story behind a newly released 60-year-old recording from a Mississippi blues legend. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Forever On My Mind, a posthumous album from the Mississippi blues great Sun House, is available now on streaming platforms. It was released last month by the Black Keys frontman Dan Orbach's record label, which is Easy Eye Sound. The recording from which the album was made was furnished by a man named Dick Waterman, who became Sunhouse's manager in the 60s. He tracked down the bluesman and encouraged him to tour the country. That tour boosted House to national acclaim and cemented his legacy as a musical genius. Waterman tells Mississippi edition producer Rob Lane his late client was born right here in the Delta in 1902. He grew up in northwest Mississippi, and uh, he didn't really play guitar or play the blues until the 1920s, at which point he got a guitar and apparently was a fast learner because within the first several weeks or so, he was already playing for juke joints. And he was a field worker, plantation worker, and later worked himself up to being a uh, tractor driver. And he always took a lot of uh, pride in being a very good tractor driver. So he's a tractor driver on the plantation and then was working weekends on a juke joint. And so in that earlier part of his career, he earned a little bit of recognition, but it sounds like not terribly much. He moved to New York, started a new life for himself, and didn't think very much about music for decades. Is that kind of right? Right. He moved to New York in the 1940s. That uh, He played guitar. He worked in juke joints in the 1930s. And in the early 40s, I think he moved to Rochester about 1943 and got to work on the New York Central Railroad. And then it wasn't until, what, the early 1960s that you set out, sort of set out on this quest to discover him. What drew you 
to try to resurface this blues artist who you felt had never received the recognition he was due? Well, there had been a small amount of interest in the folk community because the Robert Johnson album came out in 1962, I think, the first Robert Johnson on Columbia. And uh, that sparked some interest in Delta Blues. And then um, I promoted some shows with uh, Booker White, and we heard that uh, that Sun was alive. He said he had seen Sun coming out of a movie theater in Memphis. And, of course, that sparked some interest because Sun hadn't been seen since the Lomax sessions in 42. And so that really was enough to get us down there. Two other fellows and I went down to... Um, see if we could find him. This was in June of 64. So we went to Memphis and, of course, found out that Booker White had, didn't know what he was talking about and had not seen Sun House. And so um, Sun had recorded for Lomax in Robinsonville. So we went to Robinsonville and started to backtrack him from there. And we found a young man who had been married to send as his stepdaughter. So we contacted her, and she said that he was still alive and living in Rochester, New York. So we found a neighbor who had a working telephone, and we spoke to son on the phone on June 21, 1964. And we asked him if he was the one who had recorded for Lomax, who knew Charlie Patton, who knew Robert Johnson. And he said, yes, he was the one. He had done those things. So that was it. We said, don't go anywhere. We're on our way. And we were in Mississippi at the time. So we drove from Mississippi up to Rochester, New York, and found him two days later. Was he surprised? Did he sort of have the sense of, I've been waiting for somebody all these years to come and tell me that my music is, you know, finally going to get the attention it deserves? Or was he really taken aback by the level of interest that you had in him at the time? Well, there really wasn't a lot of interest. It was just a small group of Delta Blues fans. I think we probably numbered in the dozens. But that's all. There was no widespread interest in it. And so we found him, and um, we brought him to some festivals in the summer of 64, and that's what started his comeback. And what did that comeback look like? Well, he first appeared at the Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Folk Festival at the end of August of 64. Then I found him some work after that by writing letters to colleges and universities. And one of the schools where he played was Wabash College in Indiana. And after that, we made a recording of the show. And that's the new album that is just out now on Easy Eye Records. 
Yeah, tell me a little bit about that album. If people want to go listen to that now, it is available, if I'm not mistaken. What are they going to hear? Well, they're going to hear really the naked blues. In other words, it's, it's, the, it's the Delta blues just as he knew it and played it. He hadn't played for white people, so he didn't have any stories or jokes or humorous anecdotes to tell. All he was was able to play the blues in its straight, unadorned, naked, emotional style of the Delta. What do you make of the critical reception of this album thus far? Well, Mr. Harris really was the most emotional of all of the blues singers, more so than any of the others of the rediscoveries of the 60s. So the public really has this chance to hear something that hasn't been available and is playing very, very well. And uh, so, no, I'm not surprised that the public response has been good. My understanding is that... To understand Sunhouse's influence and legacy as a blues musician, you can't just look at him. You also have to look at people like Robert Johnson and Muddy Waters, who he taught really how to play the blues. Is that right? Yes. Sun mentored both Robert Johnson and Muddy Waters. Muddy was always extensive in his fitting Sun credit for being the, the foremost person who influenced him. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Enjoy your weekend. And I want to seem like me. Oh, and it seems like now, even now, I want to stop down.